time is it? It's, uh, let's see now, it's 0527. Time to get started. Yep, 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 yep. Um, we almost did reading. Uh, I pushed this off from last episode. This uh, I just thought this was interesting. This is just a little bit of, of you know, we just, sadly, we just missed a fly-in, and we're all kind of feeling bad about it, you know. And so uh, our friends at, I believe it was Abweb, Avweb, um, did one of their little funky polls, which, I don't know, get me started on their polls. But this one was kind of interesting. Um, the poll was, what do you like about fly-ins? Why do you go to fly-ins? Okay. And, uh, um, and I know how I answered the poll. I gave you a little, little screenshot here of what the mix of answers were, um, at a particular moment, because sometimes these things disappear from their site. I thought this was interesting. Um, and maybe you shouldn't have looked first. Um, tell me each of you, Jeb and Dave, why, what do you like best about fly-ins? I oh, bet I know oh, the, the answer. food, the food. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. David, There's no David, contest. David, what do you like best about going to fly-ins? Oh, the other. The what? The other. The other. Yeah, okay. You guys being smart. I like this one. No, I like uh, yeah. being there, to, talking to people. Talking to people. That's what I say, too. And I, if Jeb were going to be serious, I bet he'd say the same thing. Yeah. Um, which I, is why I, I, also, I also like flying there. And I also like watching the airplanes. Well, I, I mean, yes, I like all these things. The question is, which is first? And I, th- I found it interesting that, it, this, at least as far as this poll is concerned, which admittedly, which, you know, you have to really keep in mind, not just admittedly, you have to keep in mind, these are very, very, you know, kind of based on whoever happens to answer it. Um, but the number one choice. Is, so the answers to this uh, AOPA uh, uh, newsletter poll is uh um and it wasn't avweb apparently it was aopa's newsletter um flying there was number one 32 percent of the uh, people who responded said flying there was the thing they liked most about fly-ins um number two was meeting other pilots number three was watching um aircrafts fly in number whoa, whoa, four whoa, 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 whoa. back up stop yeah did you just say aircrafts i might have. yeah smack him on the tongue <laughs> what in the actual hell are you talking about <laughs> Okay. All smack, right. Smack yeah, I know. We'll, this will come up at the next meeting. No, okay. it's going to come up right now. <laughs> I take it that's not aircrafts. Aircraft. Yes, the aircraft is both singular and plural. <clears throat> stop. Full stop. Period. All right. So, yep. have you noticed lately? You guys are are both well, uh, either at the, certainly at the edges of the computer industry. All right. <laughs> have you? Well. <laughs> Qualify that a little bit more. What I mean is that I'm a little bit more involved in development and software coding and things like that. And and you guys are a little bit involved with that, but mostly you are just power users. You use it for your other work. That's what I meant by that. Okay. Um, There. um, So um, (laughs) I'm sorry. We're really straying afield here. The the British are notorious. Is that the right word? They are well well known. Well known. So we say... Going to the hospital or going to the university, right? right? But they say going to hospital, going to a university. And I've noticed recently that people are using the word software in a similar way. I'm trying to think exactly how it works. They refer to it not as a piece of software, but just as a software. Um, and, And so an aircraft... An aircraft. I mean, okay. Those aircraft. Those aircrafts. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to just the way they depict it here. Watching other aircraft. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I will accept, I will accept these Gryffindor demerit points right now because I, I agree with you. (laughs) There is no S on the end. I don't know why, why I said that, but I did. And, uh, you know, I, maybe it was a, you know, it was a little senior moment there. (laughs) You know, it was a little, little bit of whatever. All right. Watching other aircraft fly in is number three on the poll 19 percent um of uh, viewing the air shows um which by that i mean i presume they mean the uh the uh, aerobatics the acrobatics um is 12 percent and then sampling the food is 1.8 percent um which i don't know yeah i guess so huh um that's uh you guys both remember the days when air ventures food was handled by 
who is that local outfit? What, that was Zogs. Zogs. Oh, that's Zogs. right. Zogs. Z-A-U-G-S. Zogs. Uh, 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 as I understood it, was a local food, you know, kind of catering food service outfit. And uh, and they had, I, I think they had an exclusive on Air Ventures food. They did and, for a while. And uh, and it was. You could have anything you want as long as it came from Zogs. That's right. Um, and somewhere along the line. Um, I, you know, I don't know whether somebody gave Zog a 20 year exclusive at some point, but, or, or I don't know why it changed, but it did change at some point. And, uh, well, it changed and, partly because there was such a groundswell of people saying, uh, could we have somebody else here? I know it was, it was Zog's was, was, yeah. Zog's and then was, I think there was a contract and a change in EAA leadership uh, that's what I always keyed it to. Corresponded with the uh, the expansion of who they let in. Yeah, I, I always keyed it to that. That that when like Tom took over, think a lot of things started to change, and uh, and and that was one of them eventually. But uh, anyways, sampling the food. So the food is 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 a very very small other eight percent other is 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 uh, four times as significant as the food. What do um, we think goes into other? Uh, hmm. I don't know. Shopping. Okay. I, I, buying oil. That's a good one. Absolutely. I mean, really? <laughs> that's an important one. <laughs> that's an important one. Uh, uh, There's no such thing as too much lube. <laughs> uh, see, see, you guys have to go in that direction. Um, so a little, bit, uh, a, a little bit too slick is just enough. So the marketing guy in me says this food thing is an opportunity. This is just a huge opportunity. Yeah. Um, because I, I can, can – so the fact that meeting other people – and I would argue that they, if you really, really did a fair survey, meeting other people would be the number one. Um, and if meeting other people is as high as it is, then what are you going to do meeting your friends if not eat? All right. And so you should make good food a, a, a significant part of the experience. Um, it makes me think of uh, minor league baseball is notorious for this in a good way. Notorious. Um, you know, if you go to major league baseball food, the food varies. It's usually these days. It's my experience is it's pretty good. Um, but you don't go to major league baseball game for the food. Really? You go because it's it's major league baseball. And I thought you went for the beer. Well, the beer, but it, you know, it, but it's not, that's not really the big deal. Minor league baseball, on the other hand, if you've ever been involved, attended minor league baseball on a, because minor league baseball is just quite not as good baseball, although that's, I could give you an argument about that, but technically speaking, it's not as good baseball. There has to be more of an experience to the whole minor league, attending a minor league game. And most minor league parks go way out of their way to have really excellent food. Um, whether it be barbecue, uh, there's one that I used to attend in San Jose, California that had the best barbecue um, of any place in California. I mean, I've had better barbecue like in Texas and Tennessee and, and, and whatnot, but, um, but, uh, um, but the best barbecue I think I ever had in California was at the part the ballpark in San Jose, California. Oh, we've got a brand new ballpark here Yeah, that, uh, was all set to open last spring. Yeah, yeah, and minor league. We know yeah, what right. happened to that. Yep, but uh, it's uh, it's open now. It's the team is winning, and uh, the uh, what's the name of the team again? The Wichita Wind Surge. Wind surge. I love it. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, yeah. Sports teams in, in general have, have kind of funky names, but minor, small, in you know, these minor league, if you will, teams always have really, really strange I'm, names. I'm well, going, this, I'm going to change my name. Yeah. <clears throat> to, to wind surge. Wind surge. Yeah. I like okay. that. Well, it, that team was uh, in uh, New Orleans, where they were known as the New Orleans Baby Cakes. <laughs> I think that should be Jeb's name right there. Now we found it. There, there was a piece I came across yesterday um, on a website. It how some uh, military pilots get their call sign. Yes. And what did it say? Well, it, it, it listed like a hundred different uh, call signs of, of you know, in a one liner describing how the how the pilot got that call sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of cute. Um, yeah. 
Well, it's and I, my I don't know I have no direct knowledge, but I always had the impression that it had to. One big factor was was somewhat embarrassing the individual. Well, yeah, that's kind of a given. Uh, that or something awesome, right? Um, yeah, because yeah. Maverick so, is not a, not an embarrassing code name, but Goose not so much, right? And so, well, no one. How should I put this? Yeah, those those call signs got retired about thirty five years ago. Probably, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's too bad but you're probably right um uh, no, yeah. no one no one uses those call signs well we got some examples in the uh the air show community like john lights clean house yes down down at, down at sun and fun yeah his his call sign is still used and in circulation and used to his face and some of them live on no, oh, I well, I've gotten the impression that 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 lights leanouts truly enjoys being referred to that way. Um, it's a big part of his persona, as I as it is the sense I've always gotten. But uh, yeah, anyways, um, I don't know how do we do. You know, once upon a time, we used to start this podcast by simply talking about the weather, all right? And we got such a f- uproar of of listeners who said airplanes airplanes talk about airplanes that i came up with the idea of starting every episode by talking about some funky aviation subject all right so we'd kick it off with a kind of light were you, know. you planning on starting that anytime soon <laughs> well, that's my point apparently we've lost that because for the last couple episodes although we kind of vaguely started on aviation we really drifted into something else altogether um what we like best about fly-ins i don't know what we're going to do with this information but i think the food could be a lot better i think that would be a plus our friends who run aviation run fly-ins uh this is our advice to you my advice anyways our advice to you is is there's an opportunity here make the food a a, a draw it will it will it will increase the number of people who come to your fly-in that's my my well it hits on so many cylinders that you go into a fly-in or or an air show Uh, you, you get a chance to fly someplace you get to meet other pilots you get to watch other airplanes fly you get to rate the landings and then some of them have an air show. I mean, Jiminy, that's four for four right there. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm. I mean, years ago, Avweb did a piece. I, I was. I had some part of it. I don't remember. I think maybe as editor about pilots who get here, got there, got to Oshkosh early, and lined um, the main runway with chairs and and uh, yeah. uh, well, a radio tuned to. Boy, you are a mind. You are yeah. a freaking mind reader. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As, as, as Jack was talking about that, the image that popped into my mind was this line of people along uh-huh. 927 in the North 40. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. But, Jeb, was there something to this story? But the- the, yeah, the punchline is, I mean, those those guys mainly, well, you know, they might have enjoyed other parts of the show and, and stayed for the duration, but they were there early to watch the landings. Yeah. And, and obviously, that's because that's one of the answers. That's the number three answer here is what, uh, uh, watching other aircraft, aircrafts <laughs> smack oh. his tongue. Oh, man. They, there will be a beating administrator. I guess so. Wow. wow. I know how to push you guys' buttons. Well, but right. you, you think about well, what, we, what we do when we all worked on AirVenture Today together. Yeah. And we met deadline and we're through for the day and we're back in the superb eight trying to discuss where to go, what to do for dinner. And we're huddled around the window watching mm-hmm. traffic mm-hmm. arriving on runway nine. Well, and, and that's how we chose the initial and subsequent site for the tie down party. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And why, and why we, we wanted to watch the airplanes and, and, and why we, this, this, some of them were arriving, but we wanted to be able to watch the airplanes. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and even after we no longer were living at the super eight, we still wanted to go out there because uh-huh. of that, that aspect of it to see, you know, depending on which way they were going, you'd see airplanes, you just watch, I mean, in, in addition to drinking beer and talking to friends, you would watch the airplanes and then, and, and at least once a night, the B-17 would take off right over our heads. That and, was so and bank cool. so that we could look into the cockpit. Yes. As yes. it went by. That was yes. a cool, yes. that was a cool, cool yes. moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Which, so. which I, I wanted to comment on air shows. Is it, it surprising to you both 
that air shows is a, such a relatively small percentage? Uh, no, not really. No. Nah. I mean, it depends on who answered. I mean, this is a very unscientific survey because it's whoever chose to answer. Sure. Um, but I think that of people who attend airship fly-ins on a regular basis, I'm not surprised at all that the air show itself is pretty low on the list. Um, is, it's, it, is it because of I've seen air shows, I've seen upside down airplanes before. That, is it because, hey, I can do that with my debonair? Once. <laughs> or know, I think part part of it is because once, well, you've, it, once you've seen lights in the cowling, it doesn't matter anymore. Well, <laughs> no, see, so no, lights in the cowling is the so my answer is basically what you just said, Jeb, which is if I know for me is that after going to Oshkosh and Sun and Fun and others over and over and over again, the you know the kind of like. You know, I mean, not to diminish the skill and daring involved in doing these things. All right, but which uh, is significant? Yeah, absolutely oh, significant. Oh yeah, I don't don't please don't misunderstand. I but make, once I, you've, I make light of a couple of things, but no, yeah. Uh, um, but once you've seen them, you've kind of seen them. Most of them, they're kind of the same. All right, um, and so then it becomes a question of the the really you know you basically aren't paying attention to the air show except when something really unusual happens, like the lights in the cowling, um, or a particular act that that you know you hadn't seen before. You know when they suddenly mount a jet under underneath a biplane or or you know things like that. Um, but, or Sean uh, D. Tucker was flying. Or when Sean D. Tucker first arrived, or or for that matter, most of the time he flew. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, the air show, yeah. I mean, and uh, you know, the air show is, 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 I don't know, the air show is what attracts a lot of newcomers. But I think people who have been on a regular basis, quite, quite frankly, we don't even go to see the airplane airplanes. After a while, we go to see the people. That's what we've all said. Well, yeah. well it's long fascinated me uh, at, at Sun and Fun and Oshkosh both. Uh, that as the time approaches for the afternoon air show, there's this chair carrying exodus from the buildings and from the campgrounds as people head out to the flight line to try to get a good spot to watch the air show. And how many people don't do that because they say that's the best time to get in the buildings and talk to <laughs> vendors. Uh-huh. Because uh-huh. it, you know, it, you know, so many people vacate the building to go out and sit on the flight line and 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 smell smoke oil and uh, watch Patty Wagstaff do her Patty Wag pass. And, yeah, yeah. And I, and, I, and if you want to shop, go. Yeah. No, and I mean, I, and I don't ignore the air show. I don't ignore a hundred percent of the air shows, but I, I I ignore most. Ignore is a bad word, but I, I don't watch most of the air show. I watch bits and pieces. I watch the parts that are, you know. Different. Anyways, okay. Well, as 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 a working scribe at, at most of these, I I usually took that as an opportunity to get to vendors and spectators without the big hassle of wading through four or five layers of people to do so. Right. It meant getting work done, getting more work done while the air show's going on. But always at the beginning of the week, go down the list and see if there's anybody new, anybody that I haven't seen before, anybody that I particularly want to see. Uh, I mean, Sean and Patty uh, always put on exemplary displays. And I find myself drawn to the front door of one of the buildings just just to catch their act. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, well, I don't know. Patty still performs. Sean, I believe, is retired, um, or at least retired as a solo act. And uh, so, uh, anyways, fix the food. That's maybe my big takeaway here. Fix the food. Better oil prices. And better oil prices. Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from uh, beautiful uh, Dover, New Hampshire, from the banks of the rushing ever flowing quickly Kochiko river. Um, and, uh, from the and, banks of the Gichigumi. Yeah. The Gichigumi, right. With a, with this, something play the, I don't know. Anyways, um, the beer and the antelope, oh, the deer, excuse me, the beer, the beer and the antelope, beer and the antelope. There's a bunch of, there's, it's like, not unlike Wichita. There's a lot of microbrews here in Dover. So maybe the beer and the, and the something are playing here along the, the banks of the, uh, rushing Cochico river. But, uh, anyways, yeah, 
it's nice out here. This is a, one of my favorite times of year. It's pleasant and, you know, cause winter's long over and hasn't quite gotten crazy hot yet. And uh, so it's nice. I like it here now. This is, you know, it's like there are a lot of times a year when I don't want to live here. This is not one of them. Anyways, I'm here talking uh, in my virtual hangar, our virtual hangar, to uh, uh, my good friend, two good friends uh, from uh, the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas, is uh, Dave Higdon. Good morning, David. How are you doing today? Uh, doing okay so far. Uh-huh. Uh, have already accomplished all the week's work uh, on, on the day job. Uh, uh-huh. Turning in stories, turning in invoices. Got, got That's the week good. done. Got the week done yesterday. Yeah, I mean, we should tell people today, today's Thursday for us. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And uh, since Thursday is when I have a uh, a release from a uh, dietary restriction, uh, <laughs> I uh, always use Wednesday evening in, in, in kind of a celebratory manner. So <laughs> last evening I hit. Two of my favorite places, uh, uh-huh. the, the Hopping Gnome, if you're ever in Wichita. The Hopping Gnome. The Hopping Gnome. It's on uh, on the main drag through town uh, on East Douglas. Okay. Ex- excellent little brew pub. Yeah. And uh, a more substantial one two blocks away, Central Standard Brewing. And uh, since okay. they don't recognize the time change, it stays Central Standard Brewing Central all Standard. year long. Okay. Yeah, well, okay. There's a joke there. But, yeah, all right. Well, that sounds like fun. That sounds like good. Yeah, it's great that you yeah get the four-day work week or three-and-a-half-day work week. Good for you. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I uh, I have a bunch of, uh, well, we used to call them honeydew chores. But I've got a bunch of chores that, that I've ignored. And I'm going to spend today and tomorrow – uh, trying to catch up on those so that when the weekend comes, presuming that the wet weather we've had for the last three days finally moves off, uh-huh. going to saddle up the motorcycle and uh, head out to some place that has a restaurant on the airport to sample the food. There you, there you go. See, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, also, hopefully, here- hopefully, there'll be some aerobatics. Yeah, well, there may well be at one of them. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And also here in uh, our virtual hangar from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, is Jeb Burnside. Good morning, Jeb. Good morning, Jack. Good morning. I'm supposed to ask you how you're doing because you're always prepared to have a a funky answer. How are you doing, Jeb? Uh, I'll survive. Uh, I'll (laughs) survive. I I got a lot of impending doom coming up over the weekend. Doom? Okay. As far as work is concerned. Yeah. Uh, But. Making some progress on on uh, some airplane projects. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. You uh, last yeah. we talked, you had sent your airplane off to, or you were about to. I don't know. Had you you had you you were going to get a, some avionics repaired. Yeah, yeah. I've gotten that resolved at least for the time being. Um, I have uh, uh, some more to do uh, on that specific project, but right now everything's working and, and flying in close formation, so that's um, a good thing. Uh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's windy day. I don't know if we, you know, are we, if we're going to talk about the weather, yeah. uh, we've gotten a bit of a respite from the, the humidity and, and heat of summer down here. We're, we're topping out at high eighties and, and, uh, 90 or so. Um, but we've got this high pressure system, uh, high pressure over the Southeast mainly. And, um, it's brought with it, you know, a lot slower humidity, but a lot more wind too. Uh, we've had twenty gusts, twenty five for last couple of three days, mm-hmm. and it's starting to get tiresome. Um, some guy yesterday wiped out. I don't know what he did. I was coming back in, and uh, guy lives across from me. He's got a very nice uh, Aranka Champ. Mm. Uh, it's it's painted, you know, like white all over with some red stripes, and looks very good. He's got wheel pants. First Champ I've ever seen, I think, with wheel pants on it. Um, okay. Nice airplane. He, he's got two or three, maybe four airplanes. I don't know what the heck. Um, there's always that champ. There always, I think is a, um, it's a red, um, tail dragon. I think it's a standard American standard. I'm not sure. I think I know the tanger you mean. Yeah. 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 Um, every, he's got maybe a 150 in there every now and then he's got maybe a cub in there. I, you know, it's hard to kind of keep track. I've seen a lot of airplanes parked over there. Maybe he's tinkering with them for a friend. I don't know. Um, 
but I can't, he was out flying yesterday morning when I went out um, for a trip and um, I came back late morning and um, the airplane was parked beside the runway with a jack underneath the left main wheel, the wheel pan removed and the wheel itself nowhere to be seen. Oh, I don't know if he had a little ground group problem because that certainly certainly could have been the case yesterday Uh or if he had a flat tire or, or, or what happened. Um, but, um, you know, there's, that's, that's news from, from yeah. the uh, local runway. Yeah. Well. Um, so, you know, I wish, you know, hope, hope nothing seriously got damaged. I, I looked over there this morning earlier and, and his hangar was still closed. So I don't know what's going on. Yeah. No, I agree. But, I agree. We, Cause the world needs more champs, not less. Well, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. but other than that, um, it's spring. It's spring, yeah, which is a different experience for you. But nevertheless, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, okay. Well, what's going on here? So uh, a lot of listeners have called our attention to this story. This is the uh, the uh, cub that went flying all by itself. And, oh, yes. Um, that, you know, I mean. That happens once in a while. It does happen once in a while. In some ways, it's like, okay, what's the big deal? I don't know why this story, but it is not- notable. So this is from the. Bring uh, us your Cessnas, your super cubs yearning to be free. Yeah, right. Uh, the Kansas City Star website, plane without pilot, flies over flies over a mile. Maybe that's the part that makes this one distinctive, all right? Flies out over a mile, according to the headline, um, after unexpected takeoff, all right? Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I know, right? It's like, okay, sure. Yeah, if the, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. If, the, if the pilotless takeoff had been expected, who knows how far it might have gone. That's but, right. Uh, That's right. Um, um, sad picture that comes with this story here. Yeah, Show, shows the. Uh, I, this goes to show, though, yeah. what I've said for a long, long time. Yeah. The airplane knows how to fly. The airplane does know how to fly. You if just it's have to tr- let it do its thing. If, if you've got it trimmed out right, you know, yeah. it's it's raring to go. No question about it. And if you and, don't and, tie and, it down and, when you start the engine, it, it's raring to go even yeah. more. I've seen this happen in person, and the the oh. uh, the owner uh, hung on to the strut on the left side of it. It was a it was a Taylor craft, and it had just come out of like an eighteen month restoration. Yeah, N- new cloth, new paint, shiny polished prop. Uh, and he'd flown from another airport over to uh, what was then called Benton Airport, now Stearman Field, uh, just to show it off and get a little uh, unleaded gas. And and then he was going to take off and put some time on it because it had been in the shop so long. And there's probably a dozen, maybe 14, 15 of us on the front porch of this place watching waiting for him to fire it up. And he, he did it perfectly. He's standing behind the propeller, and he's got the door open where he can reach around and change the throttle real quick, uh-huh. if should he need to. And turned the prop a couple of times, turned the ignition on, turned the prop, and the airplane said, let's fly! Yeah. And he hung on to the strut, with his cowboy boots digging into the dirt, trying yeah. to hold it back as it went around it, it, it 360s about a dozen times Man. before it finally decided to mate with a Cessna 205. Yeah, that's that's the next sad part of these kinds of stories. Yeah. Um, and the guy said, you know, if I hadn't put this new metal prop on there, it probably wouldn't have damaged the Cessna so much. Yeah, but he had a metal prop on there because he got tired of having to retorque the bolts every time the humidity changed on the wood prop. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's no free lunch, and this one was a free crunch. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. My my favorite story. I'm I'm sure I've told it on the podcast before. My favorite story of this type um, is the uh, father and son, the the dad who was taking his young, like you know, whatever five year old, four year old son, for a ride in the cub or some sort of you know small tail dragger like that uh, obviously needed hand propping so it's small and uh and so dad got the kid into the airplane and strapped him in and then dad climbed out of the airplane in order to prop the airplane and uh and he and so he spun the prop you know he set the controls he spun the prop the engine caught 
and and when the engine caught and started going, the mm-hmm. son dutifully did what he always seen dad do, which is when the engine starts, you push the throttle in. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, so the kid pushed the throttle in. All right. And uh, obviously it wasn't tied down because the airplane started off across the uh, the ramp. Uh, and, and of course, that's where the fun, you know, this could have ended tragic, tr- really tragically. Um, um, it, it, it taxied far enough across the ramp to crash into, I don't know what, a fence or a, or a hangar or whatever. And the kid was fine and the airplane was damaged and dad was, you know, I don't know what dad did when he got home. But, uh, but you know, hey, listen, that's what chat. dad does. I had a long chat with mom. I, I know. I mean, <laughs> like, like, no, I said, mom, <laughs> could you change my diaper, please? Yeah, no, it was before leaving the airport. He had a long talk with the kid saying, we're not going to tell mom about this. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> this is just between you and me, son. There, and, there's uh, no need for your mother to know anything about it. Exactly. This. Exactly. So, uh, so this is not really an off-field landing, the uh, cub crashing in the, in the, uh, in the uh, farm field, uh, wheat field or whatever it is. Um, because it really well first of all there was nobody on board so it wasn't on landing exactly well, but talk, talk about understated the sheriff's office posted photos showing the 80 year old airplane damaged in a cornfield from the crash damaged damaged yeah. how about totaled total very you know, the front half of it kind of rolled into a ball almost yeah it's a sad sad picture but oh, um, well no that's yeah yeah what okay. i don't yeah, think yeah. they're not going to yeah no, this one's this is done, sadly, but this one's done, I think. Well, uh, right, right, but the, the, the fuselage doesn't look all that bad, actually. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, a, I don't know anything about it. It's a tube and, and, you know, it's a steel tube fuselage, but, you know, as long as you got the number plate. Yeah, right. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. Well, and you buy it from the insurance company for, you know, like 800 bucks. And Even that, yeah. You, you've got a place to start, but... That's going to take a lot of tubing and a lot of time and a yeah. lot of welding. Uh, somebody rebuilding the wings uh, and the wrinkles in the fabric after the uh, yeah after the cabin yeah make me wonder whether the uh, some of the tubing back there might not be as straight as it once was. Yeah, you can you can bend all that back. Yeah, might even right. be a little bit faster. Yeah, just kind of like bang out the the dents yeah. and you're you're good to go. So this one, this one is this next one is well, it's ha- it's it's a half off field landing. Um, this is dramatic. This is this, yeah, this is like this, remarkable. This is the uh, and everyone I'm sure everyone's seen pictures from this by now. The Centennial Airport in Colorado um, is sort of the, the focal point of this, um, where a, uh, a medium size I don't know business jet, a regional jet. No, um, it's a turbo turboprop. Turboprop. Um, turboprop airliner had a mid air with a Cirrus. And both managed to get on the ground. No one was killed or, or even badly hurt. Um, a big chunk of fuselage got chopped out of this this uh, turboprop to the point where you wonder how it stayed together. It just goes to show you that all the structure in these things is in along some sort of baseline, some sort of some sort of you know in a boat they'd call it a uh, a. Uh, they call it what they call it in a boat. <laughs> What's that thing about? <laughs> What's that thing along the bottom of a boat? It's called Heel. a. Keel, thank you. We've seen we've seen worse where the airplane survived. Yeah, that was a seven thirty seven over over Hawaii. Right, that's the one that always comes to mind to a lot of people. Is it again? The the basically all of the uh, skin was just chopped out of this thing for about five seats worth, and uh, um, and apparently the Cirrus popped its chute and came down in a in a tree, I think, or something like that. And uh, that's the latest one came down in a tree. The, this was a, a Swearingen Metro 4, I think, also known as the San Antonio sewer pipe because it's long and narrow um, and cylindrical. But um, apparently, they say, the uh, Cirrus's landing gear went right through this part of the aft fuselage. Um, both planes were approaching Arapahoe County, uh, Centennial Airport, I should say, in Arapahoe, um, Colorado, and... Um, uh, they, you know, obviously uh, swap paint, but yeah, and um, and stuff, and, and other stuff, yeah, yeah. The 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 guy that was sole sole pilot on the on the uh, Metroliner um, was already on final, you know, already landing configuration, and he, just, he went ahead and landed. I, I'm not sure he could have gone much further, but you know, that, that clo- close is counts and hand grenades and and uh, horseshoes. Yeah, right. So, um, 
Well, and yeah. for those who might not be familiar with this airplane, uh, it was built for years by Fairchild. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a, a GA uh, airplane mm-hmm. that uh, was very similar, but this was an 18, 17, 18, 19 seat regional airliner. Very popular for years, uh, guaranteed to cause hearing loss. Uh, <laughs> grenades on the, on the wings. Yeah. 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 Um, the, uh, the SR 22 pilot pulled a chute and the airplane floated down. Um, I, I thought it landed in a field. There, yeah. I may be one, thinking there, about, there's I, another I, one that AvWeb's reporting today or yesterday. Yeah. I think you're right. That there was another midair and another Cirrus was involved and that another chute deploy. And that one ended up in the trees. Okay. That's probably what I'm thinking. Was the, well, I didn't know the second one was a midair as well, but I did. Yeah, there was a second Cirrus shoot deployment, deployal, deploy, whatever the word would be. <laughs> and be sure it's, it's whether it's singular or plural. I'm a, <laughs> as a podcast host and writer, words are my life, as you can tell. Um, so, yeah, crazy. Cra- I mean, thank goodness everyone was okay. But, wow, this just... I don't know what to say about this. It's it's pretty remarkable that uh, that an airplane can function at least for a little while with that much damage, and 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 although apparently the airplane was largely em- not it was not full of people, um, I, I read someplace that there was there were at least a, one or two passengers in the cabin, um, apparently not in, seated near where the chunk got. Okay, cut out. never never mind. I'm reading rereading this 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 article. Uh, the uh... The recent pull with um, with the Cirrus that landed in the tree that was just an engine failure or something. Right, that was that's not what a I thought. Of a, yeah, it was not a result of a midair. Yeah, uh, there was so, another midair, but it involved two Navy trainers. Two Navy trainers. That is the other. Yeah, that's the other midair that happened. So, uh, anyways, I, I sure would have liked to have seen a photo of what the Cirrus looked like when they got to it, because if the landing gear did that much damage to the Metro. Holy cow! Well, there there was an there was an image somewhere. Let me see if I can find it real quick here. Yeah, I don't know if I've uh, seen an image of the Cirrus. There's an image, but I think this is a generic Cirrus under under airframe parachute image, not related to this particular um, incident. On the, um, Jeb's doing the uh, the uh, the, the Google Foo here, and uh, no, the image is is credited the Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office. Yeah. And it clearly shows a Cirrus, um, relatively new Cirrus, given the paint job. Uh, both doors open, no landing gear on the ground. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and the 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 does our fancy system allow us send us a link? I think it does. Yeah, it does. Let me let me give it a try. Oh boy, whoever shot this deployment was in the right spot at the right time. All right. Okay. That's I, I sent you. And it's got all three of its yeah. gear. Yeah. The one I'm looking at. The one in the tree? No, this is over water somewhere. Oh. Yeah, that's the sample image that comes with, that's included with the uh, the uh, midair story. But I think that's just a generic, this is what a Cirrus under parachute looks like. Yeah. Well, it looks like video from the uh, certification test. It could be one of the fact that it landed in water. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at the uh, image of the Cirrus, and yeah, it's just gear up landing kind of situation. That's what it looks like. And uh, yeah, there's is there just the one picture. No, there's, there's another another angle of another the. Uh, oh no, there's one down lower. I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that looks like. So the Cirrus is kind of broken half. I don't know if that's from hitting the ground or from the shock of the uh, of the uh, parachute opening. But uh, anyways, I say the landing gear and the. Uh, structure beneath the seats is all crushable yeah and it's possible that that way right it's possible the cirrus got broken you know broken half if you will um as a result of the meter as well so uh um yeah i think that a little bit less likely yeah so we'll put links certainly could have been damaged and then shooting firing off the chute kind of sealed the deal on on the the fracturing but yeah i don't know i don't know I, i mean i've read that no matter how benign the circumstances leading up to it, popping the chute on one of these Cirruses um, totals the airplane. Um, I've that read that used to be true. Is that no longer true? Um, 
I'm not sure. The shoots, of course, have to be packed, repacked, whatever, every some period of time. Right. But no, what I heard was it has to do with the shock of the shoot. Yeah, that that could be. But the straps themselves are kind of laminated or built into the fuselage. But and then and then finally the 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 shock of hitting the ground because it doesn't come down gently. I mean it. So, anyways, and there um, were no passengers on the metro liner because it was a cargo flight. Right. Right. Anyways, interesting story. I uh, yikes. Well, you know, it's it's important to remember the Klapmeyer brothers when they determined that the airplane they built was going to have a parachute. One of the reasons was a midair collision involving I think it was gliders, uh, and and some friends of theirs at the time. Um, resulting in a fatality. And it was, you know, why do we have to put up with this? Why can't we have a parachute that'll lower a light airplane to the ground? Mm-hmm. And, and here we, I'm yeah. sure it's happened before. This is the first one in my memory where uh, a midair involved a Cirrus and a chute deployed and saved the airplane. Right. Yeah, I mean, we've heard the story over, and and David has told the story a couple of different times about how in the early days of the Cirrus design, people thought it was ridiculous, and it's obviously turned out not to be ridiculous. So, well, we talked not too many episodes ago about how they're basically the market leader in piston singles. Mm -hmm. Could be, could be. Anyways, moving on here. Um, So, here's a weird story. There's a couple of weird stories on the list today, and we actually starting to get close to our time. But let's talk about one of them here. Um, apparently some sort of court case resulted in all flight training being ruled against the law. All right. I'm now I probably have oversimplified or even got that wrong. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Yep. And if, if there's truth to this story, it turns out that my interpretation of what's going on here is that the laws got written in a kind of clumsy fashion. I'm shocked by that. I know, huh? And and so when a court, and I'm going to presume good intentions on the part of the court, which can't necessarily always do these days, but I'm going to presume good intentions on the part of the court. When the court interpreted all the laws involved here, they concluded that the law against what's the term holding forth, basically being a commercial, you know, committing commercial aviation. All right, they concluded that that law prohibits the act of selling flight training. Right, yeah, and, uh, yeah. There's, there's, and I, I wrote up some of this in in the June issue of Safety. Let me find my find okay. my article here. Um, I, I, yeah. It, first of all, this arises out of a an operator. I think it's in, uh, in somewhere in Florida. I think it's Kissimmee. Yeah, Kissimmee, Florida. Warbird Adventures of Kissimmee, Florida. All right. They have a two seat Curtis P forty. Okay. Wow. Yeah, wow is a big is a it's P forty N P forty November, uh, which I think is the 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 last real version of the Curtis uh, Warhawk, um, and so FAR ninety one three fifteen prohibits paid flight instruction in this because it is uh, limited certification, I believe. Okay. Um, the FAA told them to stop conducting flight instruction in this airplane because yeah. it wasn't it wasn't approved for that. They didn't have a waiver, yada yada yada. Um, the operator apparently um, thumbed their nose, my words, uh, at at the FAA on this, and uh, FAA took them to court. Um, the court um, decided that. Not only were they conducting flight instruction, but since they were carrying persons or property for hire for compensation, and we can debate the use of the word carrying here, um, since they were carrying persons or property for compensation, they were a for hire operation, and that starts to throw a bunch of wrenches into the works. Right. Because then, then it gets extended to all flight training. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so where does this stand now? I mean, certainly flight training has not stopped because of this court judgment. No, no. Uh, I would imagine there's some sort of hold going on. Yeah. Let's let's back up and and this wasn't really a court decision 
in the sense of the Supreme Court handing down a published opinion when so-and-so agrees, so-and-so dissents, yada, yada, yada. This was uh, a lesser court, a uh, federal court, though, I do believe. Uh, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. There we go. Um, which is a fairly uh, substantial court uh, since mm-hmm. it's, in the, it's, in the, it's in D.C. Um, they were ruling in a petition brought by the Warbird operator mm-hmm. um, and had ruled and simply made the ruling. Uh, it's unpublished, yada, yada, but it also may not have precedent. It may not set precedent. Yeah. But all of this is being hashed out right as we speak. Now. Right. So we'll see. And and you got just got to figure that, that, you know, because this is an unintended, yeah, clearly we're not going to lose flight instruction. So they're going to, I don't know. I mean, what, how would you fix this by maybe somebody rewrite, do, they'll, they'll update the law. They'll amend the law so that it's more clear. Well, certainly flight instruction has been understood to be a commercial operation. Right. But not the carriage of persons or property for hire. Right. The, the two are distinct. I mean, uh, um, a banner towing is a commercial operation. Parachute jumping is a commercial operation. Um, but it's not the carriage of persons or property for hire, which has a different type of connotation right. in the FARS and in the underlying statute. Um, and how this is going to get resolved, I think, is just going to be a matter of restating um, whatever uh, the FAA wants to restate in this um, with respect to what constitutes carriage of persons or property for hire. Flight instruction doesn't make the cut is, is basically what they need to decide and, and, and somehow work into uh, the law that this doesn't happen again. Yeah. In the meantime, you, you know, if someone, especially if they were arguing before this this particular court or one for which it is responsible, a lesser court for which it is responsible, um, clearly the argument could be made that the court set this precedent and X must follow. And I, I don't know where that stands either. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Well, it, it, it's got to think. Yeah, the nice thing about it is that all this action went on in D.C. Yeah. The uh, yeah. D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is like a direct pipeline to the Supreme Court in so, terms so, of how so, long so, it takes to get there. Yeah. And the FAA is just down the street from the Supreme Court, and it should be adept enough and nimble enough to come up with a freaking interpretation that will preclude them having to go to court. Exactly. So David just referred to the FAA as being adept and nimble. Uh, No, he said surely they can be adept and nimble enough. Thank you. I'm going to go back and listen to the recording. We'll see what he said. But yeah, okay. Jeb Jeb had it right. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean. All right. Anyways. All right. I'm Um, adept and nimble enough to dance the, the, the nutcracker compared to an elephant. I am not adept and enable and uh, capable enough to do that against the Bolshoi, for example. Against what? A Bolshoi, right? Okay, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm writing these things down. Jeb versus the uh, elephants. Jeb versus the Bolshoi. Okay, I yeah. like the image of the elephants better. Hey, listen. Um, before we move on here, I just want to say that uh, if, and I don't know why this episode would cause you to feel this way, but if you like what we're doing with this podcast, <laughs> please consider supporting us with a financial donation. Um, as little as a few dollars a month really, really helps us in enabling us to do this podcast. There are expenses and and, and things that we have to pay for, so it's uh, it's it's important and, and useful. We appreciate it. Um, you can send individual donations to the UCAP tip jar via PayPal. Uh, I want to thank, uh, let's see, Michael F. And, oh, there was a thing I wanted to tell you about this. All right. Um, Michael F. and David W. and Robert V. are recent uh, tip, UCAP tip jar people. But hang on a second. Where'd this thing go? I had it. It's over here. Where'd the list go? Where'd the list go? 
and uh, it's over here, Michael F. Here we go. Um, so whenever someone makes a PayPal tip jar donation, I get a little email in letting me know. Um, and that's what one of the things that leads me to thank them here on the podcast. Um, we got one from a, uh, a particularly generous, and I won't name the number, but it was a very nice, very generous thank you uh, tip from uh, listener Michael F. And he included a note, which they have the opportunity to do, and they often do. He said, Michael F. writes, um, just passed my PPL check ride, he writes. He says, it took me two and a half years, but I enjoyed listening to you guys as I worked my way through it. Looking forward to more episodes. Thanks. Congrats. Yeah, congrats, uh, uh, Michael. listener Michael F., and uh, thank you for your, uh, your donation in support of the podcast, and uh, keep up the good work. That's terrific. Congratulations. Uh, so where was I here? So uh, thank you to everyone uh, who makes uh, PayPal uh, tip jar donations. And also you can become an automatic monthly supporter of the podcast via Patreon. Uh, thank you to some of our Patreon supporters. Um, uh, Steve T, um, I believe, is a, is a new uh, Patreon supporter. Um, also, thank you to uh, Kenyon N and Steve D, Larry O. Timothy E, Mark C, Jan S, Patricia S, Jonathan S, lots of S's this month, this week, uh, Arthur Z, and David T, and to everyone who supports us on Patreon, uh, you folks are the best. Thank you, thank you very much. For more information about providing automatic monthly support, check out patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace, or you can make a PayPal donation to the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. You can get all this information again if you need it by clicking on the box in the right-hand column of the UCAP homepage. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com. Thank you, everyone. We appreciate it. Where are we? Okay, so um, the other story in uh, government craziness, all right, um, is... uh, Massachusetts, my beloved. I grew up, I was born in Massachusetts. I lived most for the large part of my train. Here's a train. Um, In Massachusetts, somebody in Massachusetts, God bless this person, has decided that the way to control those awful airplanes um, is to institute a landing fee, across the board landing fee for every landing that happens in the state of Massachusetts of $1,000. Uh, this was a uh, an environmental fee. Yeah, that's it was pretty. Yeah, you're right. It was characterized as being a way of reducing all the crazy pollution coming from airplanes, uh, um, carbon mostly. Yeah. Oh my god! Which so uh, so there's this thing I'm, I'm, now. I'm looking. I'm looking at this quote. I'm look. Yeah, I'm looking at the Avweb coverage of this. Yeah. First of all, great lead sentence. Quote, after his phone blew up last week, <laughs> Ma- Massachusetts State Senator Julian Sire, Sear is rethinking his proposal to levy, levy, a, hundred, uh, levy a $1,000 landing fee on private and corporate aircraft, unquote. Um, the last line in the article says, quote, we're really looking out. We're looking. Excuse me. I can't even read. We're really looking at out of state owned private jets and other private aircrafts. Oh, oh, does it say that really? It does say that, <laughs> well, which is two strikes against this guy already. <laughs> yeah, okay, wait, can he have one of mine? Um, so, uh, yeah, like you said, the uh, so this this story came out just plain flat out $1,000 on every landing in Massachusetts um, a couple weeks ago. And then, you, as Jeb just read, um, he's already kind of uh, moderating it a little bit. And um, he's talking about, although he's only talking about private airplanes for owned by Massachusetts residents. So uh, those of us in New Hampshire who want to go land down at Cape Cod or something, you know, could be. Yeah, that 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 thousand dollar per landing fee is going the way of the Titanic. Yeah, I I don't think it's going to sink. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it can live. But yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. Right. So anyways, uh, I I could see a landing fee. Yeah. Five, ten bucks for a light airplane. A hundred for a King Air and, and, and I don't know, 300 for a jet. I could see something like that. Right. But, A, it's got to be used, you know, under federal law. It's, if the airport is levying it or if the, the state, which has a, as an airport uh, grant, airport aid grantee is levying it, it kind of sort of has to be plowed back into development. Well, I can't think of a better way to reduce traffic to almost nothing at a lot of Massachusetts yeah. airport yeah. and putting that fee into effect. Yeah. 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 Well, a few years ago, um, Maine did a similarly 
senseless thing, not having to do with landing fees. What did it have to do with it? It had to do with taxes on repairs or something like that. Um, no. Was no, it, it was. You it know was, what I'm talking about? It was. Uh, uh, if you flew it into Maine within the first year of ownership. Oh, oh right, right. If you, yeah, that's right. If you operated in Maine, you suddenly became subject to. To property, property tax, tax or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, and uh, um, and the upshot was that it was going to dramatically reduce people flying into Maine, and and they eventually realized that was a bad thing, and and so they, I don't know exactly how it played, it went away, but it's, I'm pretty sure it went away. So I'll figure this out. It, it it's down at the bottom of the Atlantic with the Titanic. Yeah, it sunk. It sunk. Anyways, all right. Um, David, do you want to tell us, uh, and not only is this a good idea, but there's another reason why you might want to tell us about the um, Naseo scholarship thing. Yeah. Here's an opportunity to uh, help fund somebody's uh, aviation education uh, with a new scholarship program launched by the National Association of State Aviation Officials. And I can hear eyebrows going up among a lot of the listeners going, the what? (laughs) But their state has an aviation program. Their aviation program's leader probably belongs to Naseo. Uh, And it's long been kind of the clearinghouse for state officials to talk to one another about things going on in their state, programs they want to do and programs they don't want to do. And uh, one of my oldest best friends, uh, going back to when he was uh, the PR guy for the Experimental Aircraft Association, was uh, Henry O. Henry Ogrodzinski. Okay, spell it. No, no, it's a joke. O g r o d z i n s k i. Wow, very yeah. impressive, Henry. Well, would be I, pleased. I, I had to write it <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of, a lot of times when Henry was at uh, EAA and then Gamma and then Naseo, and uh, it got to be easy. Yeah, uh, but we lost Henry in uh, 2013. Yeah, uh, it was a while ago now. Yeah. He went the same way, same route, and pretty much kind of the same kind of disease that uh, took my bride, Annie, mm-hmm. uh, cancer in his brain. Yep. Uh, and Naseo has launched a scholarship in Henry's name. Uh, the scholarship program is uh, for academic achievement in aviation or aerospace. It's offered to juniors or seniors at a college or university continuing their education in the aviation or aerospace industry. Mm-hmm. And there will be a link on our show notes page yep. that will take you into SAO. But uh, I would highly encourage anybody with the need uh, to apply for this. It can be used, the money can be used for uh, tuition, fees, books, supplies. Uh, they may award up to three of these $1,000 scholarships, and it's going to be a one-time thing for anybody who wins it. It's non-renewable. Uh, but uh, we, we, we lost Henry uh, way too soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a cool guy. I met him only a few times through you guys, but uh, he, was a, he, was, he was quite a guy and quite accomplished. Go ahead. Yeah, the, the, the adventures that uh, Henry and I were able to have together will never go into print. Uh, I'm, you still can't talk about him. I don't think that statute of limitations has expired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, uh, but uh, take a look at the uh, Naseo site. Uh, that's N-A-S-A-O dot org. Uh, there'll be a page there, the Henry Ogradinsky Scholarship Program. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry ran Naseo for, what, long 17 time. years? Long time, yeah. 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 And he really elevated their presence in D.C. Uh, and their involvement in, in things. And he was a good fit for the organization and vice versa. Right. Uh, So the scholarship, we lost Henry in 13. Uh, We didn't lose a memory. The scholarship, the $1,000, 
as many as three of them worth clicking on the link and following through. Yeah. One final comment about uh, Naseo is, so as you mentioned, David, you know, a lot of people may not be familiar with the organization. That's kind of understandable. Um, Or or, I agree with you. Um, And if you find them, so they always exhibit at, at AirVenture. Um, uh, they, and if you f- go and find their exhibit, it's kind of a little pop-up tent, not more than a pop-up tent, but a tent, um, that sort of over, well, typically it's over near where the IR, the IR, the FAA, uh, hangar is located. Um, so here's the thing about the Naseo tent. You, you go and see it and it may not be, it certainly is not the most exciting, sexy looking exhibit on, on the grounds. All right. But I find it always fascinating. I always go out of my way to visit the Naseo tent at least once during Air Venture Week. Because it's filled with all kinds of fascinating information. Typically, I mean, not all, but the idea is that every one of these state aviation organizations will set up a little section of a table and will have handouts about that state. Typically, there'll be there'll be specialized charts for that state and information about tourism things that in this state, things you can fly to in those states. And uh, I always find it fascinating to go in there and check out my state and check out the states that I might fly to and pick up specialized charts and ideas for things that I can go fly. In on, on Saturday afternoon, um, I, I've always enjoyed um, visiting the Naseo exhibit at AirVenture. And, well, uh, Annie and I used some of the uh, state maps, airport maps that we got from the Naseo booth when uh, we had Air Comanche and would uh, be on a trip and decide to not go direct back to Wichita. Uh, and uh, it was always helpful. You meet several state directors there. Uh, many of them show up for uh, an annual meeting. Uh, and if you didn't know who your state director was or is, state director of aviation, that's the perfect place to stop and ask, who is it? Yeah. Yep. And if they're not exhibiting there, send them a little note when you get home. Yeah. Anyways, Jeb, anything you want to add to this? No, I, I echo everything uh, Dave had to say. I, I, I knew Henry not as well as Dave did, but uh, he was good people and uh, he is sorely missed. Yeah. And this is a, a, a fitting program, the financial program. So, okay, uh, we have reached the end of our allotted time for sure. We're done. Um, so, I was on. whoa, 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 whoa! Got one what, last what, what, thing. You, you talk, one seventy-two drew. Yeah. Well, He's, we can talk about that later on. One seventy-two, one seventy-two drew told me an interesting stat the other day that took me. I, it kind of is surprising and not surprising. Okay, so one seventy-two drew. Uh, 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 who's a great friend of the podcast um, and and lives in Santa Barbara. And his work is in Long Beach. And if you know that kind of Southern California area, those are not nearby each other, all right? That's basically a two-hour drive, even without traffic, all right? It's a long drive. And he, for years and years, that did that drive in order to go to work. Um, And one of the things that motivated him to buy an airplane and learn how to fly was to shorten that uh, that commute. And, and as a result, he flies his airplane three or four times a week between Long Beach and, and Santa Barbara, um, and gets great value out of his personal airplane as a result of, of being able to fly to work instead of driving through. I mean, if you can just picture because Santa Barbara is North of LA and you fly, you drive down into the beginning of the LA basin and then you have to like slog through the midst of the LA basin. It can get you uh, traffic wise. So flying is in the head. Flying is great, all right? It's it's a huge time saver, all right? But like so many things in aviation, I had always assumed that it was not cheaper, all right? Um, that That's just not why you do these things, all right? Um, and he told me an interesting stat. He says he's actually figured this out. So he, one of his vehicles, one of his road vehicles, all right, is one of these big pickup trucks, all right? Um, and he used to drive the pickup truck, this two-hour drive each way, you know, to go to work. Um, and uh, occasionally he still has to because the, the weather is such that he can't fly. And he says he's figured this out. He said it's actually cheaper, literally actually cheaper to fly his 172 to work and back from Santa Barbara to Long Beach and back. It's cheaper to fly his 172 than it is to drive his pickup truck. Hmm. Interesting. That's and, not particularly surprising, but it's good to hear the testimonial. Yeah, yeah, you know. So uh, now, admittedly, this is an expensive vehicle. All right, it doesn't get great gas mileage, um, but uh, you know, here's a you know, it's not only faster, uh, it's cheaper to fly to uh, to uh, 
and he gets and he gets all that special use airspace practice every time he, he goes. does. He's a he's a master at flying the uh, what I call the LAX flyway or whatever they, they call that. He flies overhead LAX twice a day, twice a day some days, and uh, um, he sends me awesome pictures. It's just really something. So um, it's not always more expensive. It's it's faster and more convenient, and sometimes it's even cheaper. Go figure. Huh, okay, now Wait. I'm going to wrap. Now I'm going to wrap this thing up. I'm going to say thank you, guys. It's always fun talking with you. I enjoy uh, getting together and and chatting. Uh, those two guys out there, one of them is Jeb Burnside. Jeb is a, a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. He's also a regular contributor to other aviation publications. Online, you can find Jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com. His magazine is on Twitter as Av Safety Mag, and you can find his work at aea.net, avweb.com, and on Twitter, he is Burnside J. And Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. You can find his work online at avbuyer.com and aea.net, and on Twitter, he is Real Higdon. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most of the uh, pl- most places by the all one word username Jack Hodgson. For example, Twitter.com/slash Jack Hodgson, YouTube Jack Hodgson, Patreon Jack Hodgson. You can find my eBooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the Books section, and you can sign up for my email newsletter at JackHodgson.com. David, was there something you wanted to tell us? All you have to do is look at the pilot population to understand the relevance of this statement. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And the most effective way to do that is to simply go do it.